0: The reading is um, from Proverbs, chapter 3, verse 1 to 20, which can be found on page 636 of the Bibles in the um, benches. Page 636, Proverbs, chapter 3. My son, do not forget my teaching, but keep my commands in your heart for they will prolong your life many years and bring you peace and prosperity. Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them round your neck, write them on the tablet of your heart. Then you will win favor and a good name in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him, and he will make your path straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. This will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. Honour the Lord with your wealth, with the firstfruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline and do not resent his rebuke because because the Lord disciplines those he loves as a father, the son he delights in. Blessed are those who find wisdom, those who gain understanding for she is more profitable than silver and yields better returns than gold. She is more precious than rubies Nothing you desire can compare with her. Long life is in her right hand. In her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are pleasant ways, and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who take hold of her. Those who hold her fast will be blessed. By wisdom, the Lord laid the earth's foundations. By understanding, he set the heavens in place. By his knowledge, the watery depths were divided, and the clouds let drop the dew. Thank you, Beth. So Tim's going to come and preach now. I'm just going to pray for him before he preaches. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for Tim. We thank you for his, his wit, his laugh, his smile, his easy nature. And Lord Jesus, we pray that you will now speak through him by your spirit. Thank you for all the preparation he's done. And may we have ears to listen and hearts that respond. Amen.
1: Thank you very much. Sharon said I had wit. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, We're looking at Proverbs 3. The the title I was given um, when uh, Katie put this series together is... um, Yeah, props to Katie. Um, is Seeking Truth and Wisdom in an Age of Information. So that's what we're thinking about this morning. Um, And to get us thinking about that, I have a test for you. Uh, You are in a car with friends and someone says, Where are we? What do you do? Everyone's kind of, is this a rhetorical question or should I shout something? It's vaguely rhetorical. I would suggest to you that most people, nowadays, would grab this and go, hang on. I will consult Google Maps, and it will tell me where we are, and you will know. Okay, another question for you in the car. Someone says, how long do tortoises live for? And you go, let me just Google that. And you discover that different species live for different lengths of time, as Tone pointed out at the 9 o'clock. And then another question, how many different types of spider are there and which is the most deadliest? That's the kind of question maybe a six-year-old child might ask. And again, I suggest to you that you turn to Google and you find the answer. Another question, which is the universal question of all car journeys longer than ten minutes, from all children, are we nearly there yet? And now, thanks to this, there is an answer. It's not like, I don't know, it depends on the traffic, it's Thirty-one minutes. Um, Brilliant. All information is here. If knowledge is power, then we, perhaps more than any generation before us, are massively powerful. Or are we? Um, Commentators talk about information asphyxiation, whatever that means, or information fatigue syndrome, Or, and this one I don't get, but email apnea. These are meant to be the effects of information overload. We actually have too much. There's too much in our pockets and too much for our brains to cope with. And so the question for us today is how do we navigate it? How do we find truth and sift the information overload with wisdom? Surely that is the key to living well. Whoever we are, whatever we believe, actually, we need wisdom. Uh, In a a world where where knowledge is everywhere, but seemingly, at times, wisdom is nowhere. My phone can tell me what marriage is, but it can't tell me who to marry. My phone can tell me what money is, or how, how to earn money, but it can't tell me how I should spend money. It can tell me what job vacancies are, but it can't tell me which job to apply for. It can tell me 3,000 recipes for lasagna, but it can't unfortunately cook it for me. We desperately need not only information, but truth and wisdom. And so this morning we're gonna dive into one of the best chapters from the Bible library section that people call wisdom literature. It seems a good place to turn. Wisdom literature, funnily enough, is is about wisdom. And wisdom, according to the Bible, is living wisely or living well in God's world. So, for example, books of the, of, in the kind of wisdom literature... Let me say that again. Wisdom literature section of the Bible would be Job. You know, people, it doesn't take long to live on this earth to discover that people suffer. So what do we do with that? Job's a good place to turn. Uh... It doesn't take too long either for some people, depending on your disposition, to discover that life feels pretty meaningless at times. Ecclesiastes is your book, if you want to look at that. And you also discover as you go through life that life is full of nitty-gritty decisions about sex and money and food and work and rest. And all of these things which just make up our lives. And if we want to learn about those things, well, Proverbs is a really good place ago the wisdom literature how do we live well in God's world these proverbs were written about 3,000 years ago and miraculously they are just as fresh and relevant today to us in the 21st century so proverbs chapter 3 that we've just had read and I'm going to bring to you five marks of a wise person Um, for those of you taking a deep breath at that point um, be grateful it was cut down from I think seven or eight was my initial draft. Um, So if you want the full set, come to me afterwards. But five marks of the wise person and they'll mostly be quite brief. Um, And I think as I hope and I pray for all of us, as we grow in each of these marks of wisdom, we will increasingly become wiser and therefore more able to sift through the shifting sands of truth and Uh, of information overload that we grapple with today. Uh, I should say as well, as I begin, that I owe some of these marks of wisdom to um, Tim Keller. And this book, which I commend to you, it's The Way of Wisdom, uh, A Year of Daily Devotions in the Book of Proverbs. So if you're looking for something to do in your devotions this year, I commend this to you, The Way of Wisdom, um, looking at a proverb each day, really good stuff. So if you want to revise my sermon, take this book. No, it's not quite true, but... um, Okay, firstly, first mark of a wise person, the wise person trusts in the Lord. Here is Proverbs 3 verse 5 on a plate. Uh, Proverbs 3 verse 5 says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. It's lots of people's life verse for a good reason. And we wrote this on it or had this written or painted on a plate for our daughter, Amelie, when she was baptized, I'm told, on February the 22nd, 2009. Um, And I don't think she's looked at the plate since, though this is a beautiful thing, which isn't in my sermon notes, but I'm going to show it up to you anyway. Um, This morning, Beth took her out for breakfast, and they were sharing stuff to do with the new year. And and Amelie said, I think my favorite verse for this year is Proverbs 3, verse 5. She didn't know it was on this plate. That's nice. So now she can look at the plate and go, "I, I agree. Anyway, so trust in the Lord with all your heart. Trust is different from Belief. I don't know if you've considered that before. Um, the, The wise person trusts in the Lord with all the heart. Belief might be intellectual assent. I believe God exists. Or I believe in something. That is different from trust. Trust is putting the weight of your life into his hands. It's a much more searching thing. Because actually, I can believe in God all I like, but my trust can be elsewhere. My trust could be in something else entirely. It might be money. It might be family. It might be my career. It might be health it might be romantic relationships, and it's not always obvious to us what my trust is in until something goes wrong with that thing that my trust is in. and Then I discover where my trust for my security and contentment and my happiness really comes from. Do you see what I mean? And the wise person here, we're told, trusts in the Lord with all their heart. So if we're serious about seeking wisdom in 2023, very simply, our first building block of wisdom in the 21st century is to trust in the Lord with all your heart. What do you really trust for your happiness in life? Number two, and connected to that, the wise person submits to God's word. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, said Proverbs 3, verse 5, continuing, lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him, and he will make your path straight. Wisdom comes, From submitting to God's word. Now, I say that, and I've said this before up front, and it continues to be true. The Bible is not always easy. It has some bits which are hard to understand. It is not a book that we can kind of casually flick through and just get a couple of, you know, inspirational Instagram posts out of. Though it can do that. You know, I'm sure lots of your Instagram feeds are full of inspirational Bible quotes. Um, but it's not at its best when you just flick through and pick out a verse here and a verse there. Actually, it is a huge story of God, of God, the universe, uh, of humankind. It is a story told in different languages, in different time periods, in different places, in 66 different books, but with one overarching theme, which is the restoration of all things through Jesus. And it's the book that I personally have spent the last 23 years studying, and I feel like I'm still, and I'm not saying, I I really mean this, I feel like I'm still splashing around in the shallows of this book because it is the book which has formed and shaped Western civilization and our views of justice and equality. It is the book which is the top seller every year. It is the book which describes itself as the sword of God's spirit. So if we want to be cut open and kind of, that the scalpel of God to do work in us by his spirit day by day, well, we need to be in the word. We need to be reading the Bible. We must be soaked in the Bible. It means reading it. It means persevering when it's difficult. It means seeking help from others when we don't understand it. And yes, I think it means submitting to God when he says something we don't like. I think that may be part of what it means to trust God. I find it helpful when I, when I come across things in the Bible that I don't like. And I think, I'm not sure I would come up with that. It is helpful for me, at least, to reflect on the idea that it would be odd, I think faintly odd, if the eternal God of the universe and I naturally agreed on everything. <laughs> like, And at that point, i probably go, okay, I probably think he has more wisdom than me. And so I humbly submit to it. And often when you do that, you begin to discover the gold that's there. Um, the wise person to submit, submits to God's word. Can I just say quickly that that does not mean that we kind of blindly read things and become robotic and uh, we don't wrestle with with things that we find hard it doesn't mean we can't bring those things we find hard to God in prayer and say I don't understand this I don't actually like it God is this true we wrestle with him in it it doesn't mean we never change our minds it doesn't mean we don't kind of sometimes interpret things differently one from the other but it does mean that when it comes to our submitting to God and his word we we have an attitude of sitting under his authority not dictating what we want to believe on top of it do you see what I mean? So next time you pick up a Bible, flick through a gospel, one of the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, and just notice a number of times Jesus, who is the wisdom of God, says, Have you not read? Is it not written? Do you not understand from the scriptures what was said? Seems to me that Jesus' authority was the word of God. So submit yourself to God as you read his word if you want to find wisdom in the 21st century number three and again connected the wise person is teachable i've spent a lot of time in classrooms trying to teach teenagers some people here will be teachers some people will have teenage children some people might be teenagers i love teenagers i think they're great they're always good fun to spend time with teaching them is always fun i had one uh, <laughs> there's, there's nothing worse though than someone who thinks they know everything right There was this one guy I taught who was very clever. He went to an interview at a prestigious university. He came back from that interview and said to me, Sir, I I don't think the interviewers were quite up to my level. Um, They struggled. It seemed like they struggled to keep up with me. Didn't get offered a place. Um, He was genuinely clever. Not wise at that point. The wise person is teachable verse 7 do not be wise in your own eyes it's interesting do not be wise in your own eyes fear the lord shun evil see the wise person is not afraid of learning from other people or from hearing different opinions from themselves because actually if you think about it, if your worth if your kind of deep worth is not based on how right or clever you are well You can be free to listen to everyone, not be threatened by someone else's different opinion or the fact that someone else might know something more than you about this or that. And actually, if you think about it, the message of the gospel kind of confirms that way of thinking. It helps us to be wise in that way because if if the gospel's true, well, we know that we're not always right. Of course we're not. We're sinful. We're sinners. We get stuff wrong the whole time. So of course we don't always know the right answer. And yet also the gospel says you're more loved unconditionally, completely by God than you can ever imagine. So you are worthy. So you're not threatened by it. You know, you can have deep security and just listen to other people and go, that's really interesting. Thank you very much. I think of all things, Christians in this world should be the most teachable people. If we're wise, we should be known of of being open-minded, open to new ideas, teachable Doesn't mean, I should say, that we change our minds every 10 seconds that someone gives us a new opinion. No, we can be firm in our beliefs, but open and teachable. Of course we should be. I think it is wisdom. Do not be wise in your own eyes. When was the last time you asked someone else to explain something to you? Because you didn't quite understand it. The wise person is teachable. Number four, the wise person is generous. Do we need a mental cigarette break, or are we all all right? Great. Um, you shouldn't smoke. The wise person is generous. Verse 9, honour the Lord with your health, with the first fruits of all your crops. You may know this story. i have nick this story from someone else. The story is told of the farmer who uh, discovered that one of his cows was having twin calves. And he called the vicar, and he said to the vicar, Vicar, I'm having twin calves. And um, it's really good news because I'm going to sell both calves and I'm going to give the proceeds of one of the calves to the church. Vicar said, thank you very much, that's good news. A couple of days later, the farmer calls the vicar back and he says, Vicar, terribly sorry, but um, there was a problem and the Lord's calf died. Um, So I'm afraid the money won't be coming to the church. Funny that. Generosity is trust in God expressed financially. And actually, at this point, as we celebrate today the the commissioning of this new community center, I'm not sure this is a point I need to make very strongly to this church. It seems to me this church is an incredibly generous one. Um, But be encouraged, therefore, um, that actually generosity, our financial generosity, is part of our trust in God. I think it's one of the reasons God often in the Old Testament requires our first fruits, the first crops, the first things. Because actually, if we wait until we have enough, well, we might find, funnily enough, that it's the Lord, Lord's calf that dies. You know? I'll just wait until I've done this, that, the other. Oh, I haven't got enough now. Whereas God says, no, give me the first. Because as we do that, we trust he'll provide for us whatever we need. And you say to me, why is that to do with wisdom? Why is that what a wise person does? I think at this point it's helpful to look at lots of the, um, if you like, conditions that come with these, these wise things. Right? So look at verse 10. So we've seen honour the Lord with your wealth, then verse ten, your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine. There is a consistent theme in the Proverbs and in the Bible generally that generosity leads to blessing. Hear me carefully on this. These proverbs are not promises, they are truisms. So it is generally true, because of the way God has set the universe to be, that when we are generous, we tend to see blessing in some way. It is not a mechanism, it's not a quid pro quo, I'll do this, I'll give that, so you must give me that back. It's not if you give a thousand pounds, you get three thousand back. It's It's not like that at all, but it is how it often happens. In part, the blessing of generosity is that we learn material wealth is far less important than relational wealth. We learn what it means uh, to trust God and not money. And as we do that, we know blessing in our lives. And we learn that where our heart is, there our treasure will be also. What we love most, we give our money to. And what we give our money to, hey, funny, we tend up caring about, we love. There are huge blessings. So the wise person is generous and just think about Jesus, the wisdom of God. He knew that. It's why he told that rich man. you remember the encounter Jesus had with the rich young man? And he, and he says, one thing you lack. This very upright young man. says, one thing you lack. Sell, your, sell all you have. Give your money to the poor. What happened? The young man's face fell because he was very rich. But he wasn't wise. And Jesus knew that. Fifth and finally, the wise person learns from adversity. Can I say before I say this? Some of us will be going through very difficult times now. And I want, to, I want you to hear this as gently as I'm able to say it. Um, but I think it is true. The wise person learns from adversity. Uh, I am nearly, but not quite, one of those slightly annoying people who lives by the adage that there's no such thing as unsuitable weather or bad weather, just unsuitable clothing. You know those kind of people? They've got loads of outdoor gear, and you know, they'll go out in all weathers. Oh, that's fine. Fine, just put the right coat on, the right boots. I'm nearly that kind of person, but not quite. I do believe there is such a thing as really bad weather that is just unpleasant to be in, whatever you're wearing. However, last year in North Devon, I noticed Joe in the congregation here, um, I was near Saunton Sands, and uh, I suggested to Joe and Sean that we take a brisk walk along the beach. It was windy. Very, very windy. We, <laughs> by the time we'd walked the roughly 30 metres from the car to the sand... Sean had taken the sensible decision to retreat back to the safety of the car. He said, no, no, this is not fun. I'm going back to the car. Joe and I, made of hardier stuff, said, no, no, we'll go for a, we'll go for a walk. I don't even if you remember this, Joe. It, we could barely stand up. We walked for about 10 minutes, and for every minute that we were exposed to the wind, we had five layers of skin removed from our face. It was very unpleasant because you got kind of sandblasted at the same time. Um, well, I don't really know why I'm saying that. I'm saying that because, here is the thing, Our preparedness for bad weather does impact our experience of it and how we come out the other side. So the reason people tragically die sometimes, uh, you know, climbing mountains or hills is is sometimes or often not because um, the weather is so extreme, but because they're wearing the wrong clothes. So someone gets rescued off the mountain, they're wearing flip-flops and shorts and T-shirt. And the weather came in and they weren't expecting it. They were were not prepared for for the weather that was coming. Where is all this going? Well, let me tell you. When it comes to the bad weather of life, adversity of all kinds, the sorts of clothes that we are wearing, will drastically affect how it impacts us. If I'm a Christian who has bought into the lie that when God loves you, nasty stuff won't happen to you, when nasty stuff happens to you well, I'm going to assume that God doesn't love me anymore. And that is like wearing shorts and flip-flops in a force nine-gale. It's going to knock you off your feet, and it may wreck your faith. If, however, we see something of the truth and mystery, it is a mystery as well as true, that we see in verse 11 and 12, where we might be much more likely to come out stronger as a result after adversity. Have a look at verse 11. Uh, Verse 11. Do not despise the Lord's discipline and do not resent his rebuke because the Lord disciplines those he loves as a father the son he delights in. And I think what this is getting at is to say the wise person is prepared. That is to say they wear the right kind of clothes for suffering. Tim Keller, who I mentioned, wrote this book. He, in this book, comments that suffering can drive you toward God into greater love and strength or, away from him, into hardness of heart. It can be a discipline for growth in wisdom. And as I say, I say that gently because I know when we're going through suffering that is not a message we like to hear. But I think it is wise. And it's about putting the right clothes on, being prepared. Maybe you've experienced that in a small way and seen growth in your own life. So, disclaimer, final disclaimer on that. There are times in life when we're going through stuff and it feels like it's never-ending, and perhaps some of us are going through lifelong suffering, and that is rubbish. And we think at those points, God, whatever lesson it is you're trying to teach me, I've learned it. Could you just stop? And I think that's a fair enough prayer to pray. But it doesn't mean that what this says is not quite true. So, nonetheless... Let hard stuff drive you towards God, not away. And know this morning that he loves you, he is good, even when it feels like he's not. He has you in his hand, he understands, and he will in time restore you. Peter in his epistle says, though you suffer for a little while now, the Lord will gently restore you. And if you're fortunate enough not yet to have walked through serious adversity in your life... Get the right clothes on now and learn to see adversity as something which can make you more like Jesus. He knows about adversity. So the wise person learns from adversity. Um, turns out then that finding wisdom in the 21st century involves pretty much, and this may not be a surprise, following Jesus literally. Because as we look at those marks of wisdom, we see them in Jesus. So we are to, uh, we are to trust God with everything like Jesus did. We're to submit To God's word like him. Would it be teachable and value others like he did? We're generous like him. Think about Jesus. He was the one who, though he was rich, became poor for our sakes. So that we, through his poverty, might become rich spiritually. And we learn through adversity. Like Jesus, the one who was despised and rejected as he went to the cross for us. And the wonderful thing, and I hope this encourages you, final, final thing I'm going to say. The wonderful thing is as we grow in wisdom... In these ways and therefore we become more like Jesus what happens is we become more fully human we become something closer to the way God made us to be that's why Jesus when he was on earth was so magnetic he was the most alive human that's ever been because he lived perfectly and wisely in the world that he had created so whatever in 2023 happens a world full of half-truth post-truth fake news, your truth or my truth, whatever disaster and devastation may happen in the world or in your life, we navigate it with the one who sustains the world day by day and who will one day make it and us new. Amen.